baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Thanks for listening to The Rachel Zimmerman Show. I'm really excited to bring my first interview of 2024. This is with KMOX's own Debbie Monterey. Debbie, thank you so much for joining me on The Rachel Zimmerman Show. It is my pleasure. I'm honored to be asked. Um, before we get started, I just have to say I am so pleased that you also use earbuds. <laughs> because everyone around here uses headphones, and I'm like, earbuds are superior. I agree. I mean, they may people, they like the immersive sound of the giant cans, but... It totally messes up your hair. <laughs> it does. Yeah, I, I didn't get my ears. This isn't an interview about me, but I didn't get my ears <laughs> pierced until I was like 28. And so I was working here and I got them pierced before work. And I'm like, I can't put headphones on over this piercing. It's going to hurt so bad. So then I switched to earbuds and I never looked back. And it's pretty nice. Well, I switched to earbuds because when I first started working here, you know, KMOX is a very buttoned up place and you'd have important people and clients coming in. And I would start working at 5 a.m. with big headphones on. By 9 o'clock, my hair was just a disaster <laughs> and I looked like such a mess. So, yes, earbuds are the way to go. So when did you get started at KMOX? Well, I, I saw that you just uh, celebrated 20 years here, which is amazing. Um, when did you get started at KMOX? I got a call literally out of the blue from Steve Moore. I was working, I was in Madison, Wisconsin at the time, and he just called me out of the blue and said, would you be interested in doing morning radio at KMOX? And I thought it was like a joke. <laughs> uh, yeah. Are you serious? So that was 2003. And I've been doing the morning show ever since. So how did you, did you know Steve before the hand? No, I had done radio in a bunch of places. Uh, Kirksville, Missouri, Greenville, South Carolina, Columbus, Ohio, and uh, they were looking for somebody to do the morning, and they'd been looking for a long time. So I, they were looking for a replacement for Nan Wyatt, who tragically was killed. And it had been months and months and months, and I guess they had been doing a nationwide search, and Steve had called a station in Columbus, Ohio that I used to work at because he knew the program director there. And he just said, hey, we're looking for somebody to do mornings and we're not finding anyone. And my program director in Columbus had said, we had a great morning anchor, but she moved to Wisconsin and I don't know what she's doing now. And her name's Debbie Monterey. So Steve Moore literally Googled me. Wow. And I wasn't even working in radio at the time. And we just started talking on the phone. I thought he was calling me for a reference to somebody. I thought somebody used me as a reference, and that's why Steve Moore of KMOX is calling, because why else would he call me? And it was just the strangest thing, because he said, well, I'm going to call you when you get home from work, because I was working this PR job that I hated. And uh, he goes, when you come home from work, I want to talk to you, and then I need you to talk to our station manager and our news director. And I literally spent the night hours on the phone with all these people, and I got off the phone and thought, I think I have this job and they've never even heard me on the air. <laughs> I never even sent them a, a resume tape or anything. And yeah, sure enough, by the next week, they 
said, can you come to St. Louis? Because we'd love to meet you in person. So, so they had never heard you on the air, but they could obviously hear your voice. Mm-hmm. You've, al- you've always had that voice, I assume. Did people tell you like as a child or as a teenager, like, oh, you have a great voice for broadcasting or something like that? No, <laughs> not really. really? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it got better as I you know, got more experience. My, I still have the, the tape, although I don't have a tape player. I have the cassette tape of my very first time on the air ever, which was at KTUB 93 in Kirksville, Missouri. And it was horrible. <laughs> my voice is really high and I was really nervous and I talked. It, it's so bad that it's hysterical. So I, I will save it always, even if I don't have anything to play it on. <laughs> it might actually make a good joke reel if we could find a tape <laughs> player here. But, um, but I have to credit my when I was in high school. I had a teacher named Dennis McSherry, who was the speech teacher. He taught all the speech classes. And I didn't have any idea what I, I wanted to be an actress or a singer. But, you know, I had immigrant parents who did not think that that was a serious career. So I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I knew I wanted to do something performative or something that involved a microphone. And um, so I took a speech class. And then I took all the speech classes that Mr. McSherry taught. And then he invited you if he thought you were good enough to his senior level radio and TV class. So it was like an invite only senior class. Mm. So I took radio and TV my senior year and he said, hey, have you ever thought about going into this as a profession? Because you're actually good at it. And I thought, oh, bing, bing, bing. And that's kind of the direction I went when I went off to college. So I didn't know that you had immigrant parents. What was that like growing up? <laughs> I kind of say I tell people I had the the immigrant beaver cleaver upbringing. I mean, it was total beaver cleaver, but with immigrant parents. So <laughs> my uh, my dad was born in Indonesia, but he moved to the Netherlands when he was about 10. And then my mother was born and raised in the Netherlands. And my dad's family came to the United States when he was an adult already. He was the oldest of five boys, so his younger brothers were still kids. And they moved to Chicago because that's where their sponsor family was. And then my mom moved over about a year later and they got married in Illinois. Very cool. Yeah. So, okay. So you went into college knowing that you wanted to do broadcasting. When you got your first job, did you start as an anchor or did you kind of start in a different position? Oh, I was a DJ. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I DJed at a top 40 station. Well, I went to Truman State, and this was back in the dark ages before the Internet when it was still Northeast Missouri State. And when I toured the campus, they showed me the campus radio station. So I immediately thought, oh, that's where I'll be working. Um, But they failed to tell me that the building that the station was in was going to be torn down and there would be no radio station for several years. So that was a little oversight (laughs) by the tour guide. So when I got to campus, I thought maybe I'll work at the TV station, but the TV station was a few miles out of town and I didn't have a car. And the radio station was downtown on the square. Uh, Well, they had a bunch of different radio stations, but that was the closest one. So I just walked in one day and applied for a, a job and walked out with week. Uh, let's see what my first shift was Sunday mornings, six to noon, which as a college student is horrible. Yeah. Um, but I only did that for about three weeks and then I got promoted. I got six to midnight Monday through Friday, which was like the primo DJ gig. And I did that. And then I went to Kate moved to St. Louis and interned at Channel 5. And I went back to college, and the station had just started a news department. So then I went back as the station's first reporter. Mm. 
Yeah. And it was such a small station that by the end of my senior year, I was the news director. <laughs> wow, Debbie. <laughs> well, it looked great on a resume, you know? I was like, Skate Tough 93, we have seven employees, and I'm the news director. So I was going to ask how you moved into talk, but you were a reporter, news director, and then from there, where did you go? Uh, from there, I went to Greenville, South Carolina, and I was doing, I was working at two stations that this company had. And I was working on the AM doing news and then on the FM as the sidekick to some, it was an oldie station, sidekick to this really, well, I won't, I won't disparage him, but you know, he was <laughs> oh, just, please do. <laughs> <laughs> he was this guy, he thought he was really funny, right? And my job was just to laugh at all of his jokes, which I did, but I, he didn't want me to ever say anything witty or funny, so he would always kind of shut me down if I was being funnier than him. And you can kind of imagine he had like a bushy mustache, and he wore his shirts open, button shirts way open, so his hairy chest stuck out, and he wore like a medallion, a gold medallion on a chain and pinky rings. So, yeah, he, he was something. <laughs> Lots going on there. <laughs> <laughs> he was something. Um, but I did really enjoy the, the AM side. And Mike Gallagher was the, news, was the program director at the time. And he went on to have some national fame. He had a syndicated show for a while. I'm pretty sure that was Mike Gallagher. So, yeah, and that, was, that was South Carolina. And then moved to Madison, Wisconsin, where I went back into I had my own talk show for a while and was doing news as well so where did I go after Madison then Columbus Ohio then back to Madison and I went into politics for a while I went to work for the governor of Wisconsin as a press secretary and then communications director for the campaign which was the hardest job I've ever done in my life and I decided at that point I think I like reporting on politics way more than I like being in politics and that was way before it was insanity like it is now. Yeah. I can't imagine working in politics now. Yeah, it seems like it just eats up your entire life if you're working a campaign or something. Yeah, you have to love it. And the people who do it love it. You know how when you're here at the radio station, like, we love what we do. So if you have to come in on a weekend or you have to stay late to, to get something done, like, you don't mind that much because... You love what you do. Pe people who work in politics have to be like that. Otherwise, you're working 18-hour days, and it is just grueling. I would feel like I was in a bar fight at the end of every day. It was so exhausting, and I thought, I do not have the thick skin for this kind of game. I'm talking to Debbie Mon Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. As I'm sure you can tell by her voice uh, here on KMOX. Um, I was wondering about you because, Debbie, we know each other, but we don't see each other that much. We're working very different shifts. Um, I was listening to you do an interview this morning, and you're just so on it. Like, every time I hear you on the air, I'm just so – I'm like, I could never do – I could never know all these things and just go – it seems like you're just going off the cuff, but you're so professional. Are you, like, super type A? Would you describe yourself that way? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. I don't know. Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. That is really nice. Um, 
I do. I, I think I do wing it a lot. I'm not type A. I think I'm pretty chill, actually, and, and laid back. And I think Tom Ackerman and I get along really well in the mornings because we're both the same way. Okay. <laughs> Neither of us gets really worked up because you do work with people in this business who get really worked up and they get mad if things don't go well. And if there's a mistake, it's just, ah. And we're both pretty chill in there. So I, if I get if I get really nervous, that's when I... You know, some of the worst interviews I've ever done are the ones that I get really nervous about, that I want to ask the right questions and I get nervous. Um, I just can't even imagine you getting nervous during an interview. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, can I tell you my worst? You know how there's some interviews that just stick in your head forever and when you think of them, you just are horrified? Yes. So I, this was way back in the day when we were still in the old building on Memorial Drive and Charlie Brennan was coming on after me, and he was going to have John Taylor of Duran Duran Okay, And John Taylor was my imaginary boyfriend for years (laughs) in when I was a teenager. And I loved him so much. And he came out with a book. So Charlie Brennan was going to have John Taylor on. And I thought, Charlie Brennan doesn't know anything about Duran Duran or John Taylor. I need to be in on this interview. Plus, I wanted to be able to say I spoke to John Taylor. Thankfully, it was on the phone, so I wasn't a total moron, (laughs) but I was a pretty big moron. So, you know the Chris Farley character when he interviews Paul McCartney on SNL? That was me. (laughs) I added nothing to this interview. I asked no cohesive questions. I was all giggly and stupid, and when I got off the air, I thought, (laughs) I was just horrified and humiliated. And later, Charlie said, oh, I thought it went fine. And I said, no, you're just being really kind because I have I felt so stupid. I was like, I did I did nothing to that. I even in, I invited myself onto Charlie's show. <laughs> I'm like, I have to be in on this interview. And then it was just really embarrassing. It seems like you can just kind of pick up and go like off the cuff like we talked about. What do you do to prepare? Because to me, that's just like I have to write everything down. I have to think about it for, you know, a week in advance. How is it just doing it as long as you've done it and the experience you've built up over time that allows you to just go like this? I guess so. And I feel like one of the suggestions journalism students will ask for tips on interviewing. And one of the things that I tell them is don't write every question out verbatim because then when the person's talking, you're not listening to what they're saying because sometimes the best questions, I think, are following up on something that the person said that you didn't expect mm-hmm. or that you didn't quite catch or, you know, wait, let's go back to what you just said and can you expand on that? And so then you're having a conversation where I feel like if you have all the questions written down verbatim the way you want to ask them, you're waiting for the person to stop talking so that you can go to the next question. At least that was when I first started. That's what I would do. I would have all the questions and then I didn't feel like I was listening as much. And I also think it's different for me depending on how long the interview is. If the interview is five minutes, I can BS my way through a five-minute interview. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not really hard. But if it's a 30-minute interview or it's an in-depth, you know, one-hour interview, then I'm going to do a little more prep. You know, I'm going to do some background work before I get there. But probably just write down a few ideas or, or things that I want to make sure to mention. So for me... I feel like if I write everything down and I kind of have a map of how I want the interview to go, then it's more stilted because I wasn't I wasn't letting it organically 
go, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Th- thanks for sharing your process with me. Um, what, what are your mornings like? I always have to ask morning show people this. <laughs> like, what time do you get up? What, what's your routine before you come in? I My alarm goes off at 2.45. And people say, oh, well, you're used to it. Well, I can't say that I ever enjoy it. You know, I'm not a morning person where I go, oh, I'm so rested and relaxed and I'm ready. I think you do, when you do mornings, you just get used to working with chronic sleep deprivation mm-hmm. is what you, because people say you must go to bed at five o'clock, six o'clock at night. Well, I have two kids and no, there's no way I can go to bed early. So naps are very important. But yeah, I get up at a quarter to three. I don't really get up at a quarter to three. I have to be honest. I've started, you know, saying Alexa set timer for 15 minutes <laughs> sleep a little longer but it is nice to have the whole house to myself because no one else is awake and so that makes it easy and then I, d- I don't even drink coffee or anything because I have it all planned like what is the least amount of time that I need in the morning so that I can sleep longer and then I come in here and have my first cups of coffee around 4 a.m and get ready for the show we go on at five um, how speaking of your kids how do you balance being on the air being a mom and then everything you do in the community too It's hard, but I think that if you want to get something done, you ask a working mom. You know, I really think that working moms do more in a day than anybody else on the planet. Um, My daughter is away at college. She's been home now for a month and a half. She's not going back to school until next month. So that makes it slightly easier. Uh, My son and I, we we live pretty well together because I think our personalities are more the same. Um, But he plays club soccer now. And so that has become my life. So my busyness of doing a lot of stuff in the community and emceeing things and sharing boards and stuff, I still do that. But it's been replaced with a lot a lot more of driving to soccer practice and driving to games. And now he he's he plays ECNL for Gallagher, which is a really high level. So now there's all these trips. We went to Vegas for a soccer tournament and now we have to go to Des Moines. So I don't know. It's just... It's 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 really a lot. I wish I had an assistant or a scheduler or something. <laughs> well, speaking of your daughter, so she was present for the CVPA shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you've talked about it on KMOX a lot. My question for you is, what was it like? Because I know that got national attention. What was it like dealing with that after the fact? And how did it affect? Did it affect your relationship with your daughter at all? No, I think that she was remarkably unaffected by it. And it might almost be a really sad statement about how this Gen Z is almost expecting a a shooting. It's horrible to say that, but she was obviously very traumatized as it was going on. So she was a student at Collegiate School of Medicine and Bioscience, which shares that building. Um, And of course, I was learning all about this while I was on the air, which was crazy. But I remember that day, once we both got home, we just kind of sat in the kitchen together for hours and just listened to the coverage on KMOX. And we really didn't say much. And I didn't know, you know, I didn't want to press her or make her talk about it. And I just wanted to see how it unfolded. But she really did not seem terribly impacted. Um she did have to stay home for a while, and then she, I think she was a little nervous to go back after they had been um, allowed to go back to school. The collegiate kids got to go back earlier than the CVPA kids because 
There wasn't as much damage on their side of the building. Um, And then the day she went back, there was another, it was a false alarm. So the crews that were working to fix the CVPA side of the building set off alarms a couple of times and all the kids had to evacuate. That was, I think that's what really freaked her out. It was her first day back and she's calling me, Mom, the alarms are going off. We're getting evacuated again. And I thought, oh, my God, what is happening? And thankfully, it was a false alarm. But she said a lot of kids are crying and kids are going home. And But that was probably the worst of it. Um, it, it I think she was just happy to be back at school. So she never never went through a phase that she didn't want to return, which I was grateful for. And she's in Chicago. So a lot of people here think Chicago is so dangerous. And, you know, (laughs) St. Louis, obviously, people think is dangerous. But they're like, isn't she scared to be in Chicago? And I said, no, she loves it. Like, she owns it. She's downtown and she is taking the train and she's (laughs) exploring. And so I don't think it fortunately has really impacted her much at all. How did it impact you as a mom? What was that next 24, 48 hours like? It was insane. And I I feel in a way that I almost didn't get to process it the way other people would, because since I was on the air and I tweeted about it and the tweet about me being on the air while this was happening, it got 18, 19,000 likes and went viral. So I was getting calls from USA Today and Newsweek and TV stations and media outlets all over the country, the New York Post and or I mean, the New York, the Washington Post and the New York Times. And so people wanted to talk to me. And so I started fielding all these calls all afternoon and that night and into the next day. So I started turning them down because I kept thinking, I'm not the story here. Like these kids experience this trauma and everyone wants to talk to me and I wasn't there. And I realized it's because it was a really unusual situation. I got that. But I just I I didn't want people to think that I was making myself the story. But also because I like I said, I didn't feel like I was getting a chance to really process it because I had to keep telling the story and being professional about it and whatever. So I was kind of glad when those few days ended and um but again my daughter seemed fine and then I was fine and then kind of life just went on weirdly what are some of the other biggest challenges that you faced in your career and how did you overcome them oh wow biggest challenges in my career uh I guess you know being at KMOX has been incredible for 20 years because I I love what I do and I know what I'm going to be doing pretty much when I come in and there's a lot of freedom here about what stories we want to cover or people we want to feature or folks to have on the show. And I really love that. And we have great coworkers, which is good. So I feel like for 20 years, at least I've been very secure with my career. (laughs) I haven't had to worry about that. Um, Raising children obviously has been a big challenge, but I would say probably the, the biggest um, crossroads of my career was when I when I left radio to work for to go into politics because I was working in radio in Madison. Um, the station, the reason, honestly, that I left. It, this is kind of funny. It, Madison's obviously the state capital. My news director had left to be the press secretary for the lieutenant governor, and. I had left the newsroom to do a talk show. So I had my own talk show called Deb in the Afternoon, and I enjoyed it until they brought in this consultant who told me 
Debbie, you have the mistaken idea that people want to learn things when they listen to the radio. What they want is to be enraged, so they call you up to tell you how stupid you are. And I was like, um, okay. So you need to be way more controversial, and you need to take positions on subjects that you don't even believe Mm. just to get people to call and yell at you. And you're going to call me every day, and we're going to discuss what topics you're going to do And I mean, it was so not my personality. It was so not me. He also, I I know this probably is a family show, but he had all these sample liners that he was going to run, you know, for folks who don't know liners, like in and out of shows like, oh, Deb in the afternoon. Um, And one of them was, are you going to call now or sit back and take it like your wife does once a month? Whoa. That was one of the, the liners that he was going to play on my show. And I did this for a week. And I was so miserable. I was so miserable. Like people were calling and telling me how stupid I was. And I, I, it wasn't even something that I believed in that I was saying. People are calling and telling me I'm stupid. And I'm like, I know. I don't even <laughs> I don't even believe what I'm saying. I can't do this. And so I went to a bar for somebody's birthday party. And I saw my friend who at the time she had gone from press sec- secretary to chief of staff. And I knew she was looking for a press secretary because she'd asked me several times if I wanted that job. And I said, no. Um and I said, hey, how, how's your new press secretary? And she goes, I don't have one. Are you interested? And I said, yes, I am. <laughs> so that's my my foray into politics. And uh, and then I moved to Columbus, Ohio, and went back into radio. But then the lieutenant governor, whom I'd worked for, became the governor. So they called and said, you need to come back. He needs a press secretary. And it's hard to say no to that. And then we lost the election. So I was doing... I was the communications director for the campaign, and it was so hard, and it was over, and I didn't want to go back into radio in Madison. It just seemed weird to go back into it, but I didn't know what else to do. You know, I had just bought a house about six months before, and I felt really connected to Madison, but I had no idea what I wanted to do, like no idea. So that's how I ended up working at this PR firm, and I was a project manager, just kind of a mid-level grunt. <laughs> I was, they wouldn't even let me write a press release. You know, they'd say, you can't write a press release. Only the account executives can. And I'd say, oh, yeah, well, I only wrote five press releases a day for the governor of Wisconsin, <laughs> but all right, I won't write the press release. And I was so unhappy. And that's when Steve Moore called me out of the blue and offered me the job here. So... But that was my crossroads. What am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do? I am not joking that that day that Steve called me, I was in my office. I closed the door. It was lunchtime. And I was just quietly eating my lunch at my desk, contemplating my life and thinking, what am I going to do? I am so miserable. I don't know what to do. And then Steve Moore <laughs> called and offered me a job at KMOX, basically. So it feels like a lot of these situations, they're just like meant to be for you. Yeah. Well, I am the worst person at applying for and interviewing for jobs. <laughs> and so I'm so grateful that people have found me and offered me jobs because I'm terrible. I can't promote myself. I'm really bad about, you know, tell me, tell me your strengths. Uh, I don't <laughs> but know. But your strengths are so obvious, though. <laughs> but, th- but they are. Like, just listening to you, you're just the ultimate professional. And when I think of KMOX, like, I think of you and I think of Tom. It's it's Aww. TIN. I, you guys are just incredible. So. Well, that is so sweet. Well, and I guess it, it, this is just me. So it's not me trying to do anything. This yeah. is just me. So it's hard to look, you know, step outside myself and say, what is great about you? You know, I I. Don't know. I'm just, this is just how I am. So it's hard for me to pick it apart and 
tell people yeah. what's why why am I good? <laughs> right. I, I just I'm terrible at it. So yes, I'm grateful that people have offered me jobs because left to my own devices, I would be unemployed. <laughs> um, let's see. I seem to remember you getting a proclamation from the mayor. Am I making that up or did that really happen? Oh, I did. It was so Kind. And it was uh, one uh, one organization that I have done a lot of work for over the years, the Today and Tomorrow Foundation. They it's uh, uh, through the Archdiocese of St. Louis. It's like the archbishop's big event because it raises money for Catholic scholarships, uh, Catholic school scholarships. Um, And the woman who I worked with, she said, you do so much in the community and you're always doing stuff for our organization and others. And so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to talk to the mayor about you. And I thought, OK, whatever. <laughs> and it was when Lida Krusen was still mayor. And I, I've known Lida for years. And so, yeah, the next thing I knew, I was getting a proclamation from the mayor for all of my volunteer and good works in the city. And it's actually hanging in my hallway at home. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It lo- I saw a picture on Twitter or something and I was like, oh, my gosh, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. What's, what's <laughs> one of your biggest like because I'm assuming you've had more moments like that where it's just like, oh, wow, I can't believe this is happening. What's been the biggest thing like that for you? Um, well, let's see. One year we I, I it's before I was doing the show with Tom. Uh, St. Louis Magazine readers, they voted Total Information AM best. That was cool. The proclamation is great. Um, I think winning some of these amazing awards, I think we take it for granted. If anyone walks through the KMOX newsroom, there's a bunch of awards on the wall, like lots of them. But we've won two national Murrow Awards for Best Newscast, which beats out... New York City and San Francisco and all the big markets. We've won that twice in the last three years. And, you know, I'm the anchor on that. Like, I'm the anchor on this. And it obviously is not just me because there's a ton of people who participate in putting this together. Um, but, yeah, that's that's amazing to me. You know, a National Murrow Award for Best Newscast that I anchored. That's cool. That is pretty cool. What motivates you and inspires you every day? Um. I find a lot of inspiration from people in the community who are doing a bunch of stuff. It's kind of funny how a lot of my friends I have acquired from doing stories on them. Because <laughs> mm. I'll go out to do a story on somebody and I find their story so inspiring and then we become friends. So uh, I love some of the developers that I have met who are just kind of mom and pop developers who are just doing all these amazing things without subsidies from the city, without over leveraging themselves. You know, um, I would say like Amy and Amrit Gill, who have done a lot of amazing projects around here. They also own Hotel St. Louis, among the among many other things. Um, Amy and I have become very good friends over the last dozen or so years. Um, Pat and Carol Shukart are another developer couple who have done Das Bevo and the Majorette and other places, and they're just adorable. I keep in touch with them. I did a story one day on a woman who helps the homeless because she had actually come to our Girl Scout meeting to help us, the Girl Scouts. I was a Girl Scout leader, believe it or not, mm-hmm. the worst Girl Scout leader ever, but um, she helped us put blessing bags together that she was going to hand out to the homeless, and we've become f- friends because she does amazing work, Catherine Shaw of All Among Us. So I I just, you know, like Catherine's story, she quit her full-time job because she had been on her own just going around and helping the homeless on the street. 
And then she decided, I'm going to start a women's center to help women who uh, are not necessarily living on the street, but maybe couch surfing, living in a hotel. And you just I'm going to start this center so that I can help them to raise themselves out of homelessness and get jobs and whatever. And and she did it. She quit her job. She did this all on her own. I'm just amazed by people like that. I don't think I would ever have the guts to quit my job and do, you know, if I could find a job, if I could work with puppies all day (laughs) and still pay my mortgage, I would totally do it. (laughs) But I don't think I could. I don't think that'd be possible. But, you know, the people who take that leap, I just find that really inspiring. Uh, Let's see. So you're a proud city resident. Yes. You've been in St. Louis for over 20 years now. Mm -hmm. What do you think the city of St. Louis needs that we don't have right now? Or maybe that's too big of a question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what does it need? I mean, it needs a lot, obviously. I I, I do think that crime is an issue. I know everybody says that crime is the biggest problem. And it obviously is a huge issue. Although, knock on wood, you know, people are like, how can you live in this city? How can you have kids in this city? I've raised my children here. None of us have ever had an issue. I mean, I lived and were I've lived and worked in the city for 20 years and I've not had any issues. I shouldn't say any. I mean, my car windows have been broken out. That's happened. Um one time a guy was running through my backyard with the cops chasing him. That was an exciting mm. time. I was like, "Oh, what's happening here?" But I when you live in the city, you just kind of that's just what happens. Um so I it is a problem. I don't necessarily feel like it's completely affected me personally but um i think one of my biggest frustrations is it feels like st louis just talks about stuff and then nothing ever happens we have too many commissions and too many reports and too many think tanks and too many groups that are talking about doing stuff but nothing ever happens i grew up in chicago And now my daughter is there and I see what an amazing place Chicago is. And they've had some mayors who people have questioned as being too, you know, they're they're a bully or maybe they're even doing things that might not be legal. But stuff gets done, (laughs) you know, like they say we're going to do this and they do it and it gets done. Not that Chicago doesn't have its problems either, but I, I think that's my biggest frustration is why do we not actually move on these things? Why do we just keep talking about stuff? Because we're still talking about stuff now that they were talking about when I was in college interning in St. Louis. We're still talking about the same things. I don't know why stuff doesn't get done. And I do feel sometimes like the people that I know who could do the most good don't want to be in politics, don't want to be the ones to run for office to try and move the needle. They're trying to do it outside of the system. I don't know if that's the way to go either. So I don't have the answers, but I just feel like we have so much potential. St. Louis has so many amazing things going for it, and yet we just never pull it all together, and it's frustrating. It is. I agree with that. Um, let's. My final question for you, Debbie, do you have anything exciting coming up in the future? What you know? What's 2024 look like for you? <laughs> um. I have to be really honest. I feel amazing these days. Like I am happier and more content than I've been in years. I had a really rough time and I don't think people would even know this just listening to the radio. But from 2019 through like 2022 were really rough. I had a bunch of people in my family die. I got divorced. I was injured. I had surgery. I, you know, like, it was it was rough. Um, but now I feel like 
you know, I lost 40 pounds. My ankle has healed from my surgery. I just have this whole outlook on life. I just feel so much more happy and content and chill. So I am just going to actually my my goal for 2024, my resolution was to make sure that I exercise every day because life got so crazy. I didn't have time to do that. And now that I'm getting to a certain age, you really do feel feel your youth slipping away if you sit in a chair too long. So that is my that is my big goal for 2024 and to keep up with my son's soccer because he's really good at it. Um, We should be finding out more about high schools in the next couple of weeks, which is really nerve wracking. So, yeah, I don't have anything exciting because I have all my vacation time reserved now for his <laughs> soccer trips. Because <laughs> isn't that awful? <laughs> but yes, I, the, this too shall pass. He'll drive soon, and then yeah. I then I'll have all kinds of spare time. But in the meantime, I've been really enjoying watching him excel at soccer. Well, Debbie, it was so great to have you on. I learned so much about you, and thank you so much. Thank you for asking. Thank you, Debbie, so much for joining me, and thank you all for listening to the Rachel Zimmerman Show. I hope you have an amazing weekend. Bye. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 